clinical review on the bmj.com looks at the management of many airs disease. I'm Navjot Lada, clinical reviews editor, and I'm joined by Mr. Johnny Harcourt, one of the authors of the review, to discuss the diagnosis and management of this condition. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Hi. Uh, Johnny, many airs disease is one of those diagnoses that spring to mind when you see a patient with dizziness, but actually, as you describe in the review, it's not as common as the textbooks might have us think. Very much so. Um, it has been difficult to define its incidence um, and prevalence, uh, partly due to problems with uh, a clear, agreed criteria for diagnosis. Singularly, the most uh, recognizable feature of the full spectrum of the condition would be a fluctuating sensory neural hearing loss. That would give us um, a great deal of confidence in the diagnosis. Um, Vertigo on its own, of course, has many different potential causes. And the single commonest differential diagnosis of the condition uh, as recognized these days is probably migranous vertigo. They tend to share features of episodes of vertigo which last minutes, maybe at least 20 minutes, uh, perhaps a few hours. Uh, And in classic Meniere's disease, that will be associated with a unilateral hearing loss, perhaps tinnitus, and some feelings of oral pressure. The condition should abate within 24 hours. So patients having a much more persistent attack of continuous vertigo is much more likely to be suffering from vestibular neuritis when a viral infection damages the vestibular afferents in the nerve connecting the labyrinth to the brain. Other patients suffering severe vertigo but um, very brief attacks may well have uh, benign positional vertigo, um, which is characterized by movement-induced attacks of dizziness, which are very brief but very disturbing. And in the review, you give us some questions that clinicians can ask patients with suspected vertigo and suspected meniers. I gather there's one question which is particularly good at teasing out whether a person has lightheadedness or vertigo. Is that right? Uh, It is. There are different um, characteristics when starting an interview um, in regards to a patient with dizziness. Getting the character of the dizziness is very important. And roughly, patients tend to describe uh, vertigo with Meniere's disease which is a very real sense of movement. When they're still, they may get a feeling of rotation, movement up and down or forwards and backwards. Whereas many patients who have a vascular cause, such as postural hypotension, may get a feeling of lightheadedness, a pre-syncopal sensation. Um, Patients who have multiple causes of instability their description may be of unsteadiness, a feeling that they are liable to fall and not a true sense of movement um, while still. Okay, so it's key to tease out that that history of movement. Yes. Um, Okay. Are there any other questions that it's important to ask when you're um, seeing a patient with suspected Meniere's in the history? There are um, some features which would Uh, make the um, condition um, of greater concern. Certainly, if there is a true syncopal episode, a loss of consciousness, because that would strongly suggest a vascular or even a neurological condition such as epilepsy. In Meniere's disease, falls may occur uh, 
Um, but it should not lead to a total loss of consciousness, and that's a particularly significant factor. Okay. Okay. And how about um, the examination? Um, in most patients, the um, physical examination should be relatively normal. They may have some minor unsteadiness, very close to an attack. But one part of the examination which is particularly useful um, is the Hallpike test, which most general practitioners um, should be familiar with. This part of the test is, of the examination is particularly useful because it's a very good way of differentiating between Meniere's and BPBV, though to complicate matters, BPBV may be triggered by Meniere's disease. Mm. So if the inner ear is very diseased, then the oticonia, the crystals detecting linear acceleration, may fall, causing BPBV. And because it is the most treatable form of acute vitigo, it is always worthwhile looking for if you're able to perform a liberation maneuver, either an Epley or Seamont maneuver, to get rid of the oticonia, then the patient can be instantly improved. Mm, so that's a really um, valuable thing to do. It is. For all patients um, who attend our clinics, every single patient, even if they gave the most classic history of Meniere's disease, they would always have a whole pike test because of this potential association. Okay. And you mentioned um, pure tone audiometry already, but can you yes. talk us through um, the investigations that one might do in a bit more detail? Sure. So um, apart from a pure tone audiogram, <clears throat> if a patient comes to hospital, in many cases um, we will make a fairly um, confident diagnosis of Meniere's disease purely on the history and combined with audiometry. And in these patients, no further testing is necessary. However, many patients may only report uh, a vaguer history of acute episodic vertigo, and even they may be unable to uh, describe vertigo at all, in which case we may look at objective testing to look for vestibular disease. The gold standard test is a bithermal caloric test where warm and cold water is irrigated into the external ear. <clears throat> this produces horizontal nystagmus. The absence or relative absence of the nystagmus when comparing each ear against the other shows a weakness in keeping with vestibular disease. It still remains the most useful test. There are other invasive tests, including electrical tests of the inner ear. A new test, um, which has developed in the last 10 years, are the vestibular evoked myogenic potentials. And these show whether there are normal reflexes in place or whether they have been reduced or are absent, again indicative of vestibular disease. Um, a very useful bedside test in <clears throat> patients, particularly with acute vertigo, is the head impulse test. Again, these are ways of trying to um, collect evidence of unilateral vestibular disease. Okay, so there's an array of tests at your disposal if the diagnosis is more uncertain. Yes. Um, what about the role of MRI? Um, all patients who have a unilateral or asymmetric sensory neural hearing loss ought to have an MRI scan to look for evidence of an eighth nerve tumor, a schwannoma, a vestibular schwannoma, as they usually are, better known as an acoustic neuroma. 
The acoustic neuromas which mimic Meniere's disease often are developing very laterally on the eighth nerve and indeed may be um, invading into the inner ear. That's why they get symptoms of um, vertigo as well as hearing loss. Um, and it is mandatory in all cases. Okay, um, moving on to um, treatment now. Um, as the review outlines, the management of Meniere's disease involves managing the acute attacks and then there's maintenance treatment to try and prevent attacks. Yes. Before we go on to those, can you just talk us through the evidence base for treatment? The uh, investigation of um, Meniere's disease um, is difficult because of the fluctuating nature of the condition. The natural history um, is probably of improvement in the long term and therefore it is always difficult to know whether your intervention is actually producing a positive outcome or whether this is just a long-term improvement in the condition. Um, the Cochrane Collaboration um, has um, investigated um, many different forms of uh, treatment for many years disease, assessing the evidence, and have found that there is very little strong evidence for treatments for many years disease. Um, despite this, um, we do suggest um, certain reasonable choices of medication and interventions for the condition. During the acute phase, the patient may well be extremely unwell, feeling very vertiginous, nauseous, often will vomit, may get um, griping abdominal pain and even acute diarrhea. The patients need to rest. The uh, nausea can be controlled uh, with medication and mild sedation can be useful in more severe attacks. Using um, antiemetics or vestibular sedatives as they're known, usually that's prochlorperazine, stematil, or cyclozine or cinarazine. So that's for an acute attack. How about longer term management? Looking at long term management of the condition, um, it is generally a good starting point to consider uh, any lifestyle triggers. The evidence for this is not um, at all strong and indeed quite a lot of the factors which are considered are also potential triggers for migraine. So it is possible that their observes, observed efficacy may actually be because this is a misdiagnosed case of migraine. Salt restriction probably is important. There is historical work to show that over-salt stimulation produces vertigo. Reduction of caffeine, alcohol, and smoking um, all are advisable for these patients. Beyond lifestyle factors, most people in the UK choose to um, give a trial of beta-histine, which is an analog of histamine, and acts as a vasodilator, we believe, in the inner ear to improve the condition. If there are breakthrough attacks of vertigo, then more intrusive treatment might be considered. Surgery would only be considered in patients who are extremely disabled by the condition and in which other treatments have failed, either performing a labyrinthectomy where serviceable hearing has been lost in the ear and the vestibular organ is removed so that it can no longer be symptomatic 
is an alternative if there is useful hearing in the ear then an intracranial procedure to cut the vestibular nerve may allow hearing to be preserved while controlling vertigo but does require a major procedure. And what about intratympanic injections? The current concept of treatment um, for patients who fail basic medical care is with intratympanic injections. Traditionally, this has been with aminoglycosides, where we are utilizing their side effects of ototoxicity to poison the vestibular apparatus to make it insensitive so that patients do not feel episodes of vertigo. Originally, this was, this was managed with streptomycin, but because of its strong cochlear damage, gentamicin is now considered. This is much more specifically vestibulotoxic, and only in one in five or so patients would cochlear damage be produced. The overall success rate is very high, probably around 85%. But there is the risk, whenever you damage the balance system on one side, that the patient will suffer long-term imbalance because they now have to rely on the contralateral ear. If they are unable to compensate adapting to single-sided function, then the patient may get a continuous sense of disequilibrium or dizziness on sudden movements. The alternative to ototoxicity is a steroid treatment. Systemic steroids have been used over many decades for end-stage Meniere's disease, but injecting the drugs directly into the middle ear to allow them to absorb into the labyrinth to have an effect, hopefully will provide control of the condition without any systemic effects of steroids or risk to the hearing. Indeed, there is a hope that it might actually improve hearing. Okay, and I gather, um, just moving back to the um, ototoxicity treatment for the intratympanic membrane, um, I gather that's sort of an area of uncertainty and you and one of the other co-authors on the review, Professor Bronstein, are conducting research. What are you hoping that that trial will answer? Gentamicin is probably the gold standard treatment at present. We are interested to see if uh, intratympanic steroids will produce an equivalent control. And so with the help and funding of the Meniere's Society, we have recruited 60 patients over the last five years, and we are following them up for two years after treatment to try and prevent any placebo effect. You need to have a prolonged period of observation of the patients to detect a real positive outcome of one intervention or the other. Oh, well, we look forward to seeing the results of that. That'll be fascinating to see. Um, well, thank you, Mr. Harcourt, for such a um, great overview of the condition. Um, the clinical review on Meniere's disease is now available on bmj.com. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you.